Hello, adventurer. Come on in and have a seat at our table as we welcome you to another episode of Discussions and Dragons, the podcast where my brother and I take an in-depth look at the world of 5e and all things Dungeons and Dragons. Opening and closing music credit to Will Savino at patreon.com slash musicd20. I'm Jaren. And I'm Britton. And this week, we are discussing the main player types that you may encounter at your table and how to engage and play with them. Uh, so first of all, I, I've got my own personal player types that I, I observe as well as, if you take a look at the Dungeon Master's Guide, ye old Dungeon Master's Guide, even before it gets into any real content, before it even gets into Chapter 1, they list out eight different player types. We're also going to briefly just list those out. Um, I do want to also make the point that um, most players that you're going to find don't necessarily fall into just one. They're kind of like personality types in that regard, right? Where a lot of times people kind of fall under multiple ones. They, they like to do things for different reasons. And then I also want to make the point that uh, I think it might be easier. It's easier for me. I don't know. Let me know what you think to view these less as like player types and more like reasons people play D&D. You know, that's kind of really what they are. Um, and we're looking at this from a, a descriptive, not prescriptive perspective, right? We're observing certain things at the table and trying to come up with words to describe them, not necessarily saying, here is a player type, you know, here are six different types for you to choose from, now pick one. And part of the balance in, in running, the, in, in sitting behind the Dungeon Master screen is to look at these different types, figure out what's going to work for everybody without taking away from another player. Every, everybody at the table is of equal importance. Um, so that's what I want to disclaimer before we get into anything. What do you think about that? It's kind of kind of uh, more about what people like to do at the table, right? Less about a specific... I, I don't know. I think I think these just describe why people play D&D. Yeah, like you said, it is descriptive, not prescriptive. Um, by no means is there any sort of judgment. Is there any sort of adherence to, like, you must play this way or you must not play like this player. These are just patterns of behaviors that are noticed and generalized um, that are just fun to look at and maybe uh, some sort of introspection. I mean, I, you know, when I started to look at the, the player types and the player types that I might gravitate towards or gravitate away from, I started to look at what do I want to play like? How do I want to represent myself at a table? And how do I want to play the game? So none of these player types are set in stone for a person forever, but they are types that I think DMs should be aware of when constructing a game and constructing a group to play with. And I think that players should also be aware of when trying to make each other player as well as the DM feel just as welcome as you want them to make you feel. So let's get into it. Um, from my own personal experience, I kind of, my, my observation is a lot more simplified than what the DMG, the Dungeon Master's Guide, gives out. So I kind of, I look at players as either spectators or they are like the people that want to engage with the game. Um, spectators and players, I guess you could say. Um, where I, I then go even further and say like most players are either you know, they want to, they're the more immersive ones. They want to, it's what my character would do. And this is, you know, the reasons for me doing things is to contribute to the narrative. And it's not to say that anybody does not do that. That's just disclaimer that right out, right out the gate. And then the other types of, of uh, players, I would say, are those that are sort of the optimizers, the min-maxers, the ones that want to do the broken thing and want to combine and multi-class and, you know, get the cool weapon and then figure out how best I can make this turn so that I can, you know, give my 
uh, ally advantage and get in, you know, 8d6 damage and then take a bonus action and then do all this other stuff. Um, those are my observations, players and, and, and more spectators. Spectators being the type of people that are there to, they want to be part of the story. They're, they're here to be with the group and not necessarily desiring the spotlight often, but they are very happy to be there and when they get home, want to talk about the cool story that they got to be a part of. Um, the players are the ones that more want to drive the action and be involved and, you know, they're the ones that are going to make the decisions for the group. And, uh, you know, they're, they're more the players that I run the game for and, and create the world for. Not necessarily that I'm not trying to cater and, and uh, give spectators something to do too, but it's just, I think you kind of understand what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I tend to think of player types initially, like you said, kind of in like a binary of like hands-on, hands-off. There, of course, there are people that kind of are a mixture of both, but I think most people tend to lean towards, I want to dive all in, I want to use a voice or an accent, I want to change my speech pattern, I want to use my arms and gesticulate, or there's people that are like, I, I'll sit here, I'll roll my dice, I will let you know my numbers, um, I will cast the spell, I will be utility, I will do what you need me to do, and I'm here to, I'm here for the fun, I'm here for the party. Um, but not necessarily be in the spotlight. And I, I think both are equally as important. Um, I, it's a sort of like alley-oop situation. You know, I knowing nothing about sports, I'm, a, I'm thinking that I'm using that correctly. Um, Let's assume where that you are. You're, you're setting to someone's spike. You, you set your, your other players up, you assist them to drive forward. I mean, hey... It, what is a road trip if someone's just driving by themselves? Not fun. You want to have someone that goes along with the ride, enjoys, plays around, gives the gives the other player something to bounce off of. Yeah, definitely. And I, I avoided using the term role player because I think somebody can be a driving sort of a player. Uh, somebody that wants to drive the action and engage with the NPCs and ask what they see when they enter the room without being somebody that wants to first-person roleplay, you know? That's just a, a way that you can play the game. You don't have to be somebody that does voices and animate. It is very animated, and you could just say, yeah, my character does this. My character would like to investigate the room. My character would like to look for traps, you know? So I avoided using the term roleplayer. Uh, it's just people that want to drive the action and people that want to be... Uh, part of the story, but watch it happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I've played with plenty of people where that's kind of been their their zhuzh, is that they will, maybe they're they're not the most, like, affected with their voice or their gesticulations, but they, they make very solid character choices, and they are in the moment, and they are decision-making and problem-solving, but they're not, they may not be doing the, like, quote-unquote, like, the acting side of it. So... Yeah, I think that's a good distinction that it's not people who are like role players and non-role players. It's the amount of like hands-on or hands-off, you know? Like how much are you, how much are you, it sounds so weird to say like how much are you putting into it, but like how much, um, I guess like are you, are you leaning into it or are you sitting back, are you like leaning back and letting other things happen while also contributing? You know, I, I feel like maybe that's the point that I'm making. Uh, we're agreeing saying different things we're agreeing i think so i think so now before we, we continue on i want to i think the way i like to do it is uh talk about 
the things that we can do to engage these different types of players, and then we can kind of go on and we'll talk about um, player types from your perspective and we talk about how to engage. Maybe we're going to talk about the same thing, but in fact, let's do that. What are the player types from your perspective? And then we'll come back and talk about engaging with them. Yeah, so kind of a similar list. I, I generally like to think of players as the hands-on, hands-off, number one. That's kind of like where the the tree kind of starts, where it starts to branch. Hands-on people are the the main archetypes of, I know you didn't want to use the word, I, I generally think about like you are hands-on in a role-play heavy aspect where you you want to become the character. You want to first-person role-play. Or there's like the tactician, where you are all about combat, you are you are all in for being hands-on, but you are min-maxing, you are wanting to do combat, you are doing the you were you were doing the tactician type of thing. And then in hands-off, there are like the backseat gamer, where they are along for the ride, not saying a whole lot, but they are contributing to the party, they are contributing to the story, and they are really in, out, out of game enjoying their time. They love their friends, showing up, bringing the snacks, drinking the beer, having the having the game, and then after a session saying, thank you, DM, I had such a good time, I'll see you all next week, or however frequently you play. And the, I would say, hands-off for role-playing combat for more of a utility. These These types of players want to use their skills, but not necessarily role play a character. They have a skill set, they have spells they want to cast, but not necessarily want to be the character. So I guess in a hands-off setting, there's people who are leaning less into role play versus leaning less into combat tactician. And then there's the hands-on, which are leaning very much heavily into role play versus heavily much into maximizing their action economy, combat skills, becoming a master tactician to make sure that they assist their team in winning. I think that's a good uh, a good perspective, a good uh, summary of different uh, player types. Because that's all, I mean, you've, y- I feel like you've interacted with more players in the sense of you've DM'd for more people, you have had these experiences. I've had a very limited experience in, you know, I've played two campaigns with the same group of people, um, and I have two campaigns that I'm currently in now, all with people that I've known IRL for quite a while. And for most of them, it's their first time. So they are figuring out the types of players that they are. So I'm coming at this from a semi-limited viewpoint. I only know what I've experienced and how I've navigated offering things to the table for them. Yeah, I, 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 that's, that is true. I've, I've, I've run more D&D than you have. That is certainly, that yes. is certainly true. <laughs> I think so. My my ideas are going to be. Uh, I'm going to have different ideas about like how to engage with these different types of players. Um, I think for the people that are are, are less hands on, they're more hands off. They're the spectators. Uh, I really want to think about presenting the story in front of them, but not necessarily dragging them into the spotlight. I'll probably have in terms of NPC interaction. I'll have less direct interaction. I'm not going to have an NPC ask them pointed questions and ask them to step into the spotlight to give this monologue, for example. But I might have NPCs regard them. You know, I might have an NPC show up and make mention of this character over here and, you know, this this really cool staff that they have or whatever it is. So I can still do something to make them feel special and included without 
asking them to, you know, step in front of all their friends, take the spotlight. You know, I might even uh, give them something important to do that doesn't doesn't force them to be that person. You know, I could maybe, and this is something that, that you, uh, as a player, if you recognize that this is the kind of player that the, that your your buddy is, uh, you can you can do. Maybe you give them the task of, uh, you know, they're kind of they're kind of the, uh, you know, the Frodo of the group. Carry this important artifact for us. Make sure that you're you stay with us and guard the sucker with your life. You're gonna you're gonna hold the key item that is gonna be the thing that's gonna complete the campaign. Don't have to do anything with it. Just hold on to it, and then they get to feel important because they're you know they're special. They're holding the important thing. Um, maybe they're the character that has to sneak into the castle. They don't have to go talk to the guards. They don't have to go and have conversations with the NPCs. But the DM's gonna make them roll for stealth and roll for some other stuff to see if they can actually sneak in and they can feel special doing it. Um, just stuff that they may not put them into the spotlight, but they're in the driver's seat kind of, and they have clear and specific things that they have to do. Um, so they're not having to, you know, feel like, well, I have to make the right decision or I have to say the right thing or else the campaign's not going to go right. Just give them something that's clear and specific and doesn't make them put, you know, put themselves into the spotlight. Yeah, I, I don't want to sound patronizing or condescending. What I want to say is that I think something that new players or players who are a little bit more hands-off may experience is a a sense of intimidation when it comes to role-playing a character. And again, you know, we've talked about it several times and we've said it a couple times throughout the podcast, the, the three main pillars of, you know, D&D or tabletop role-playing games. You have exploration, role-play, and combat. And the role-play can really stifle some people that are not familiar with it or not comfortable with it. So I think removing that pillar, or at least um, removing the pressure of that pillar and giving them, like you said, an artifact or giving them giving them a job that they need to do that does not involve one of the pillars that makes them uncomfortable, that can that can make them shine and feel very, like you said, important and special because at least they have a job that they know they can do and they feel confident in it. And I feel that when you engage with players that way specifically, it makes people feel a lot more inclined to shine in the aspects that they really shine in. Like maybe the person who does not really enjoy role play that much has a thousand steps going on in their brain with, well, I have this plan. Maybe if you do this, you use this spell, you use this skill, I'm going to come around here and you do this, this, that. And the other thing, maybe they're thinking about that throughout the game. Maybe they're thinking about different plans and things like that. But when they're got this cloud of like role play pressure, they're probably not thinking about that. They're not thinking about the aspects of themselves that make them a very good player to have at the table. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and this is just speculation. Them, this is me being an armchair philosopher thinking about the, you know, the psychology of D&D. But like, you know, just player types like that, I've noticed, you know, the, the hands-off can be a little bit intimidated by roleplay. And maybe this is why. Yeah, and, and uh, drawing back to my very early days of D&D, back before 3rd uh, edition, this is kind of dating myself as to when I actually started playing and then took a very long hiatus and break before returning to the game, back when it was 5th edition. Um, back when it is 5th edition, like <laughs> I'm saying it like it's past tense. But in those early days, one of my first classes, my first characters was a wizard. And uh, the thing that I'm, I'm mentioning about, 
you know, being afraid to screw things up was exactly me. And that's why I referenced it and why I mentioned it is because I was afraid to mess things up. I was afraid to do the wrong thing, specifically with role playing. I didn't know really what I was allowed to do, what I could do. And I, I so worried about making it a bad experience for these really, you know, these players have been doing this forever. Yeah, I didn't want to ruin their game, basically. And so I fell back on, well, what spells can I cast? I know that this is within the rules. I know this is allowed and expected of me, so let me do that. I definitely didn't want to be in the spotlight and have to make a lot of decisions that would have dr driven the campaign. Probably would have been excited to, you know, maybe help with the planning or, like I said, carry a really cool item that was going to be important later on. Yeah, it's kind of funny that you say that, you know, you you had these apprehensions, especially, you know, a... a I'm assuming a young teen, a youth in your day, uh, we all have those pressures of not wanting to ruin it for for the rest of us. Even I still feel those pressures sometimes. Uh, currently, I'm in a I'm in a game right now where it's two people's first game, and I'm I'm the only one that's like a veteran player, and I feel the pressure to not steamroll. I feel the pressure to not barge in with my larger than life role play character with my funny accent, and you know. I feel the pressure to take a step back so that other people can can shine and they can get excited about their characters because, you know, when you're in those situations where you have a character that you're tepidly excited about because, you know, maybe it's your first game or this is just the type of player that you are where you kind of, you, you bring your character, but you're not, like, slamming your character sheet down. This is my character. I'm so excited to do the thing. Um, that can be a lot. It can be a lot to handle all at once. Yeah, for sure. I think just being aware of that means, you know, you're a considerate uh, player. Yeah, so role players, you heavy RPers, make sure that you know that there may be people at your table that are a little hands-off. Enjoy those spotlights, but don't hog it. Yeah, that was a, a directed statement at me, to myself, at me. Don't hog the spotlight. So, uh, continuing on to... Uh, enough about, about that. Um, looking at... The other player type that I had mentioned, we, we'd just been talking a lot about the, the backseat, the hands-off spectators. Uh, the more immersive players, the one that want to drive the action, what can you give them to make the game enjoyable for them? And I think about, you know, if somebody is the type that wants to min-max, they want to optimize their character, make the broken stuff, let them do the broken stuff. Let them min-max. Give them scenarios that allow them to creatively use those broken combinations and then reward them for that. You know, I, I, it's, it's easy for me as the DM to think I need to, I wouldn't say punish a player, but you know, it's, it's easy to slip into an us versus them mindset and think that I lost because my baddie didn't do enough damage. But that's kind of the, the point. Like I, you know, I got to remind myself not to punish people for min maxing and uh, for getting a really strong broken combination. If they've gone out of their way to create that and to come up with it and to think of this really cool, creative, but absolutely kind of OP combination, and this is what this player wants to do, as long as it's not taking away from the game and ruining somebody else's fun, let them do the thing. That's why they're here. Let them do the min-max stuff. Let them do broken combinations. They want the multi-class just to get sneak attack? Let them do it. As long as it's not breaking the game in any way and ruining the fun from everybody else, let them do that broken thing. Give them situations that allow them to do that thing and then reward them for it. Right. Um, and we'll probably touch on this uh, in a future episode. And I don't want to... This just makes me think, if you're a DM and you derive your fun from besting your players, 
perhaps check yourself. Yeah, check yourself. Perhaps write a book where you are creating the story where you kill the main characters. Maybe that's what you do. That's you know, the us versus mind, them mindset. It it really stresses me out because it makes me think of all of like the D and D horror stories that I I purposefully look up D and D horror stories to make sure I never act like that and I you know hopefully never interact with anything like that. But that was just my side side note. You you said that about you know the besting your players and things like that. Side note, DMs, please sure. don't do that. And and. In the regards to the min-max, as a player, I I know that I can feel a little frustrated as a, a, a damage dealer, as, as a person in combat where I'm very excited to cast my spell and maybe maybe the enemy saves or maybe they don't save and I don't roll super high on my damage. And, you know, narratively, I was like, all right, I spread my arms and these black tentacles sprout from my body and I hurl them around my body because I like to describe my spells a lot. Um... And maybe the execution uh, damage was not uh, not as much as I was thinking, and I kind of maybe over overblew this moment. And then you've got the min maxer that comes in and sneak attack, divine smites for sixty damage, and it can feel like it took the wind out of your sails as a, as a somebody in combat. However, if that's what they wanted to do, and if that's that's what gives them joy, uh, figure out what gives you joy. And make that for yourself. What gives me joy in a in a uh, in a in a scenario of D and D is getting into my character, getting into my voice, and having an in depth conversation about character trauma, making jokes with the the tavern keeper, or uh, successfully persuading a lower level spy to give me their intel that they have. You know, that's what I derive joy from, and I need to remind myself as a hands-on as a um, a little bit more active or um, front seat, I guess, gamer, figuring out what gives you joy and not letting the success of another joy kind of overshadow what you love to do. It's a great segue. And uh, as I get to the other type of, uh, I guess, hands-on, immersive type of a player uh, that I had mentioned... Or another way you could put it is the that's what my character would do kind of a player. And I recognize, I'm going to just touch on this, I, I recognize and acknowledge that that phrase, it's what my character would do, Triggering. has some negative connotations. We're not talking about those players. We're talking about the players that do stuff that contributes to the narrative that aren't the most optimal thing, but they do it because that is actually what their character would do. They, they don't try to min-max. And I'm not saying that min-maxing is necessarily a bad thing. It's just a different way of playing the game. But I'm, I'm looking at the, the quote, that's what my character would do type of characters, type of players that do the thing that isn't the most broken thing because that's not what their character would do. They would do this other thing instead. Those type of players, the, the immersive ones that are more into the RP, that want to explore, those players, I'm going to give them a lot of open-ended situations, a lot of different ways, a lot of clues, a lot of different solutions to the problem, a lot of ways to solve the mystery, as it were. I'll have NPCs engage with them. They can talk to you know, whoever they want, and uh, find out information from a lot of different sources. I'm going to give them the opportunity to go do those things. Yeah, and and as a player, I, I because I'm that person, uh, as it is probably fairly obvious, I am that player archetype. I am the heavy RPer. This is what my character, this is my character decisions. I zero in on the other players at the table, and I try to engage directly with them 
and indirectly with other characters. Like um, I know that you know in our in our Sunday game, we have uh, someone who's not the most heavy in her RP. So when I'm speaking to the group, I will um, I will say blah 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 blah. Write this character and look at this character. Maybe I was speaking to one of our characters that really loves to RP, but I'll include them in a sort of confirmatory statement. Or as, as someone who loves to heavy RP, I will make sure that my moments that are emotional or that are very involved conversationally may include a head nod towards this other person or an acknowledgement, but not necessarily a, I'm going to monologue at you and I need you to digest it and give me your response. Right, right. You know, and I, another thing that I will do is I will absolutely, you know, try to dig into these characters, these players' backstories, bring in stuff that they mention, bring in a character, a name that they mentioned in their backstory, or uh, in the case of our Sunday game, I'll, I'll try to do more things that relate to your character's faith, you know, because that's important in their backstory, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to make that a more, a bigger presence in, in the game so that, you know, it gives them more things to interact with and allows for different pathways in, in the campaign. And uh, I get to draw inspiration from that. It's kind of kind of the cheat code, right? You know, give you different ways to solve the problem, and then that helps me tell the story better. And, you know, we've said it a thousand times. We're going to say it a thousand and one more times, and probably more a thousand more times in the future. Overarching player types, overarching a lot of uh, types of situations, these can and should all be addressed in session zero. People coming into a game, DMs should be very, uh, or should try to be very transparent about their DM style. And players, if they know it, should also try to be as transparent with their style as well, so that everyone does not come to the table with false expectations um, and can come with a little bit more of an open mind, knowing how they want to navigate so that everyone, you don't need to have the kind of clunky oh, I don't actually really like to roleplay, I don't know what I'm going to do, can you ship the conversation, or, you know, these those sorts of things. We've talked about it in the past, and I, I, I would love to have another uh, kind of roundabout uh, where we touch again on Session Zero, what we've what we've learned in, in our new campaigns, if we've had any since our previous Session Zero episode, to talk about the different types of things you can do in a Session Zero that maybe we have experienced now in the past year or so since our last Session Zero episode. These player archetypes can be talked about, should be talked about, to make sure that everyone feels like they are equally enjoying their time. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. We'll have to revisit that topic in a future episode. One thing I wanted to mention, this is something that I'm drawing straight from the DMG. Before I just straight up list out all the different types that that book gives, uh, something they mentioned in these type of players specifically, in the immersive ones that want to get into the roleplay and exploration and ask you know, about different NPCs, is uh, this is your your opportunity as the dungeon master to create multi-dimensional, in-depth NPCs with complex motivations. You know, not simply one-dimensional information kiosks. NPCs that have their own uh, their own set of motivations that may not necessarily be morally straightforward. That may be a bit complicated. You know, they they don't always like a player. They don't always let on all the information that they know. They're not always completely honest. You know. So that way, with these these specific players, when they're talking to NPCs, they might notice, hey, something seems a bit off about them. They can follow up on these motivations and try to dig deeper and find out what they really know. And are they being straightforward? 
because that's what those players want to do. They want to look at the clues. They want to dig deeper, uh, follow up on different uh, breadcrumb trails to try to get to the solution. And the more ways you give them to do that, uh, I think the better time these players are going to have. And like I said, cheat code for DMs, the more solutions that there is possible, it just helps me tell the story because then the direction and the solution is kind of what you guys come up with. Not necessarily what I have decided beforehand that it's going to be. Yeah. I guess uh, to put a, a, a bow on what I would like to say in regards to player types is just to reiterate what we said in the beginning. These are not concrete set in stone player types that you need to be forever or strive to be like. These are patterns of behavior that I've noticed as a player, and Jaren, I'm assuming that you've noticed as a DM at the table how we both like to navigate them. But we all pick pieces. We're not 100% the, you know, dive deep role player. We are not the 100% backseat, only give me my artifact to hold on to. You know, we grow and we change, and players kind of dip their appendages into different, uh, different styles and... Just being aware of that can really help make a situation or just feel, make a make a game feel really nice. Being aware of your your player types, your friends' oh, yeah. player types, and how you can make them feel just as valued as they make you feel in the game. Yeah, and, and certainly as we grow and change as players, it, it's not always constant either. Sometimes you, you show up to a game and you just you have one of those days and you go, I just want to go and fight stuff. I'm not really in the mood to do a whole lot of heavy RP. Let's just get through the adventure and, you know, I'm mostly going to be kind of taking a backseat tonight. But that's, you know, so it can change session yeah. to session, too, depending on your mood. It's, it's the yes and. It's the, the so. improv yes and that, that really helps, you know. Take an improv class, then, then play D&D. Exactly. Well, let's, let's not overthink the topic. We're, at the end of the day, we're here to play. We're here to have fun and to tell a story. And uh, if we think too hard on these player types and get in our own heads of trying to cater to every little specific detail of different types, I think it's kind of detracting at that point. So we'll end it end it there, I think, <laughs> unless you have anything else to, to No, mention. I agree. We'll, um, we'll, we'll, we'll save the rest for a psychology class. Oh, God. Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> we'll save that for a future. All right, friends, that's going to do it for our show this week. Thank you for stopping by. And if you liked this episode, please check out our future episodes, which are released every other Wednesday at 12 p.m. Central. Next time, next episode, we're going to be talking about the other half of the coin, the other side, the different dungeon master types that you might encounter at your table and ideas of how to engage and make it a good experience uh, with those different types. Also, if you want to join us for a conversation uh, or talk about other D&D-related content, maybe you listened to this episode and thought we completely missed a player type or one that you are that uh, maybe we didn't really cover, drop us a message in our Discord. We have a link in the episode description. Also find us on Facebook, and uh, there's a link to our Discord on that as well. So thank you, guys. This has been Discussions and Dragons. I'm Jaren. And I'm Britton. And we'll see you next time.